0: Good Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you, as always, on a Sunday morning. Hopefully you're encouraged. I really love our uh, worship team. Thank you again. I love the emphasis today on just us singing and connecting with one another and with God. That's so incredible. It's so great. It is good to be back with you uh, this Sunday. Of course, I'm Joe Collins, and welcome to See Me Church. Our mission is to love and to live like Jesus. Uh, I haven't been here. I, well, I've been here, but I haven't preached in a couple weeks. We had Gio come on up and appreciate Gio doing such a great job. And and uh, now we're going to kind of go back to our series, Jesus Worth Following. We're going to pick it up in uh, Mark chapter 14. The idea of the series, if you're unfamiliar, is that we're following Jesus through the pages of Mark and just taking section by section and learning uh, what, what God would have us learn from each section. We're going to start here in just a minute, but before I do, I have a story. Okay. So uh, there was this guy, he was a heavy drinker, okay, he was an alcoholic, and he was marooned on a desert island. Oh, no. And uh, he was on this island, and he began searching the island for something, uh, food or anything to sustain himself, maybe some way to get off the island, and in his searching, he came across a magic lamp. And so he got excited, realized this was probably his ticket home, and so he rubbed the magic lamp and a genie popped out. And the genie said, this is your lucky day. I will grant you just about anything you. I can do, almost any wish you ask for, but you only get two. So the guy thought about it for a minute and he said, well, what I'd like right now is something to drink. So could you just give me a glass of vodka and orange juice, a never-ending glass of vodka and orange juice? Poof. Next thing you know, he's got a glass of vodka and orange juice in his hand. And he takes a sip, and it's good. And he just drinks the whole thing. And then he goes down. And before his hand gets back to resting, it's filled up again. And he gets excited, and he takes another drink. And before, as soon as he's done, it, it fills right back up. And so he, he drinks another one. And it fills right back up, and he's just about to drink it again. And the genie says, whoa, 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 slow down. You got one more wish. And the guy said, well, I'll have another sometimes we miss what's really important don't we let's go to God in prayer father thank you so very much for bringing us together this morning we pray for your spirit to be with us to infill us and empower us now help us to look at your word be inspired be uh, encouraged and strengthened to live our faith out this week it's in Jesus name amen Amen. we're going to talk about what's most important today Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through, I think we're going to read through eleven. If you don't have your Bible or an app, you you can look on the screen. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus, but secretly, to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, for our or the people may riot. So a little background here. Uh, if you've been following the series, you know that this is the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, just a few days ago on Sunday, he triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem with the, the thousands and thousands of people cheering for him and calling, praising God and calling him Messiah. Then uh, on uh, on Monday he re-entered the city again into the temple and he cleared the temple and he called down curses on the temple and called for the end of the temple system as and and life as the Jewish people knew it. This also enraged the religious leaders at the time. So on Tuesday, he went back into the temple, and when he was there, he immediately got into a bunch of arguments. You remember that uh, series of lessons, and various leadership groups and and, uh, temple authority groups came to him and argued with him to try to uh, discredit him and to try to uh, minimize him as he was widely popular. People were loving what he was saying. They were into him. They were excited, and and yet he was you know, teaching against what the temple had been doing. And so these these leadership groups were out to get him and trying to silence him. Of course, they were unsuccessful. And so that, that evening, he leaves the temple area and follows that green line out, if you look on the map, out of the temple. And he stops on the side of the Mount of Olives, somewhere between the Garden of Gethsemane and that the town called Beth's Page. And And as he sat on this hillside overlooking the temple and the whole city, he told his disciples a prophecy. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And he prophesied and predicted the fall of the entire temple system. And the Mosaic Covenant, which was the Jewish faith, he he said that was all coming to an end. That life as they knew it was going to completely come to an end. It would be like the end of the world. Really, it was the end of their world. And we read the entire chapter of Mark 13. And it's one long prophecy about the ending of the Mosaic covenant, the destruction of the temple, and a new covenant between God and man. And the language, if you remember, was super intense. We talked about being diligent because the language was like, was end of the world kind of language. And for those people at the time, it would have felt like the end of the world. It was the end of the world as they knew it. And then he returned to Bethany. So now it's Wednesday. And Jesus is in the city of Bethany. And apparently he's taking the day off. As far as I know, there's no indication that he went back into the city, that he did anything other than stay in the city of Bethany or the the small town of Bethany. But his enemies did not take the day off. And they were secretly scheming on how to kill him. And the problem was, is he was too popular. And so they had to try to figure out a way to kill him when no one knew about it. And so they decided, well, we'll just wait till after Passover. We'll just wait till the crowds leave and then we'll get him. This isn't um, part of my message. But I, I, I can't move on without just giving a nod to this point. And I really want us to just catch this, this first stop in our little storyline here. That when, whenever things are done in secret, unless it's a surprise birthday party or something like that, they're usually not good ideas. When you think about people gossiping and they... They love to talk to each other. And and then eventually that gossip gets out and it ends up hurting friends. You think about people being critical of other people or of organizations or of, of the government or of the church or whatever. And that criticalness starts in your heart and maybe you tell somebody close to you, but then it eventually gets out and it actually causes division among other people. You think about things like lust or coveting. You in your heart you, you do that in secret no one knows about it but at some point it comes out it turns into pornography it turns into greed let's be done with things that are secret as Christians let's just decide to stop doing that let's live in the light get it out if that's been something going on get it out talk to somebody about it get it out and be done with it and let's move on together In the light. Back to the story. Verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those uh, present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. So... If you are familiar with the Bible, this may be helpful to you. If you're not, it's a little bit of information that you might find helpful at some point. But all four Gospels, the Gospels are four separate biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're obviously reading out of the book of Mark. All four of the Gospels record a story like this at some point in their Gospel. Matthew and Mark seem to be recording the same story. If you compare Matthew's account with Mark's account, they're almost identical. Luke tells a story, but there are some key things that are different. One, it happens earlier in Jesus' ministry, probably a year or two prior to this. It happens up in the north part of Palestine, which would have been the region called Galilee, some 50 miles or so north of Bethany. And the woman walk, anoints his feet. It's, it's different. It's, it's something different. John tells the story and actually says it takes uh, three days, that it took place three days before this account. So it seems in my reading of scripture that it's possible they were all talking about the same account, but they kind of twisted it to fit their, their biography, how they felt like it should fit. Or there were actually multiple times in which somebody anointed Jesus, a woman or maybe even someone else that we don't even know never got recorded. Now that may sound weird, but let me just say in, in ancient uh, times, 2,000 years ago, anointing someone, showing them honor like this, and in particular pouring perfume or oil on them was not weird. It seems weird to us because it's not what we do. But... We do anoint people in our day and age. We do give people honor that we feel like deserve honor. And we may have our own cultural way in which we express that. And they would look at our expression of of honor and they'd go, that's weird. So don't get caught up in... Man, that must have been weird. Oil, uh, alabaster jar of uh, perfume poured on his head. That was, must have been uncomfortable. And don't get caught up in those details. Just know that what this woman was doing was she was showing him great honor, great love, great adoration. And it's not something that only happened once in Jesus's life. It probably happened on many different occasions. Jesus was well loved yeah. by the people. He was incredibly respected and well known. And there were people who were coming to him all the time, falling on their knees, uh, calling him Lord. I mean, on and on it goes. He got this kind of reaction a lot. I imagine it must be what it's like to be Christian. When Christian plays music and everybody goes, you're amazing, and, and we want to throw oil on him and anoint him and tell him how great, I don't know what that's like. That's never happened to me. John, you could relate. This this stuff never happens to you and me. But people like Christian, rock stars, it happens to them. They throw other things at us, John. That's right. But just know that this was an incredible act of love and adoration that this woman expressed for Jesus. It's interesting because as she does this, the people there get upset. Now they're not upset because what she did was weird. Why do you think they were upset? Yes. Because they were like priests, and they were getting upset because because she just, um, because she just poured perfume on Jesus. And what was it about the perfume that was important? It, whenever you pour somebody like perfume or oil and somebody it, it, like show that you praise them. Yes. Okay. What else was important about the 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 perfume? Were you going to say something? Yes. Uh, it was expensive. It was expensive. It said it was worth more than a year's wages. I looked this up this morning. The average median income across all industries in the United States of America is $51,000 a year. Now half of you are going, "What?" It's $51,000 a year she literally threw $51,000 a year away. Now that's the wrong way to phrase it, away, but she poured it out. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had this desire one time in my life to put $50,000 or 10, whatever, $1,000, whatever, on black. You know, just one shot, right? You just wanna see what happens. I'll never do it. <laughs> But this is way bigger than that. I mean, she took an entire year's salary. And it was spent right then and there in that one moment. And that's what bothered the people that were sitting there. Now, Matthew tells us that there were also the disciples there and that they were bothered too. Let me give you a little background because this is really important. Bethany was a place that was very dear to Jesus. He was very familiar in that city. If you read the Bible and you sort of put the pieces together, this isn't a main theme in the Bible. It's nothing that's going to matter regarding your faith or salvation, but it's just an informational point that helps you understand. It appears that Jesus would go to Jerusalem at least once a year, every year of his life. Even when he was a young boy, his family would make the journey. And then as he got older, he would make the journey. It was a pilgrimage. In the Jewish faith at the time, it was an ordinance. It was a a command, but it wasn't really enforced, that all Jewish men, and, and oftentimes their families, would go to Jerusalem at least three times during the year, and they would worship at these different festivals. They had three different ones throughout the year. Probably the big one, the main one was Passover So probably most people tried to make the journey at least once a year And you got to understand, people are making the journey from, from far distances If you go all the way to the north of Galilee Up, up in the, the, the northern part of the area of Palestine it's, it's over 70 miles in those days They didn't have cars, they had to walk And other people came from other countries And so it was a big deal And Jesus, apparently, if he didn't do it three times a year, he at least did it once a year with his family growing up. And again, as an adult, he would visit Jerusalem frequently. And Bethany was his preferred place to stay. My wife and I go on vacation from time to time, and I like to try to do new things. But more recently, we've gotten into just going to one place, and we just like it because you get familiar, you start to get to know people, you know your way around, and it's just kind of a nice, you feel at home there. Well, that's That's Bethany for Jesus. It's it's quite possible that he stayed there every year of his life, that they had friends. They may have relatives that actually lived there permanently. Some scholars believe that there were Galileans, people who lived in the north part of Israel or Palestine, who actually moved and migrated to Bethany, and they just lived there year-round, and that would be the logical place for people from Galilee to come and stay in Bethany because Jerusalem was too crowded during the holidays. You get my idea. It's the state line to Vegas. (laughs) Not only that, but Jesus had very dear friends in the city, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If you're unfamiliar with them, we've talked about them in the past. But they were very dear friends, so close that when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. They were dear friends. But here's where it gets really interesting. Bethany, as, as, as we're digging as uh, historians and Bible scholars and archaeologists are digging more and more, we're finding out that Bethany may have been, it probably was, the site of an almshouse, a poorhouse. Alms poor it also, you're going to see in a minute, was probably the site of a leper colony. And, and so Bethany was kind of a place for the sick, the broken, the downtrodden. And oftentimes when you see people who are broken, who are hurting, who are in need of care, you also find caretakers. And so it's very possible that Bethany was loved by Jesus, not just because he was comfortable there and not because he had friends there, but because the kind of people there were his kind of people, the broken and those taking care of the broken. It was his kind of place. People who care about the needs of other people are Jesus's kind of people. Right. I know that's a mouthful, but I'm going to play with that phrase in a minute, so I want you to hold on to it. People who care about the needs of other people are Jesus' kind of people. Right. It's the kind of person I want to be. So, Jesus is at a banquet or dinner He's at, oh, I mentioned it already. He's at Simon the leper's house. We don't know if he was still with leprosy or if Jesus may have healed him, but it was there. And you could be sure, you could probably assume that in company there, there were the marginalized, the hurting, the sick, the broken, and there were probably the caretakers. And now are you understanding why they were upset when this woman poured out $51,000? onto the head of Jesus? I mean, it's right there in the text. Why this waste? It could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Could you imagine serving at the Samaritan Center and just shredding $100 bills in front of everybody? Just putting them in the garbage disposal one after the other? I mean, the the people that work there would be like, what are you doing? Why the waste? I mean, we need to, we, we, we need to add a wing to the orphanage. We, we need to get some more medicine for the lepers. We, we could have bought shoes for the kids. We could have spent that money on food for the poor. What are you doing? The word there when it says they began saying indignantly to one another is the word for violent anger. They were violently angry with what this woman did. And then you can imagine the disciples who were probably violently embarrassed. Like, oh, great, Jesus, what are you doing? You're a reflection of us. I mean, you're you're allowing this waste, this this irresponsible behavior, and that's going to reflect badly on all of us. There's more going on here when you take just a minute to kind of let it marinate, to dig in a little bit, to understand the background and what's happening, right? Now, Jesus, he's not angry. Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor, many of whom might have been sitting in that room. You will have with you always, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. In memory of her. Now I know that I'm speaking to people who've been faithful believers in Jesus Christ for many years. There may be some that are fairly new, but I'm assuming that the the the, the biblical knowledge of this room is, is on the higher end. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to a minute to forget what you know about the life of Jesus and the story and where this ultimately goes and what ultimately happens. Just do me that favor. Entertain me for a minute. Forget about it. And imagine being in the room. Imagine being maybe a caretaker. Now, Jesus, in your mind, is your kind of people. He's known as a healer, He visits every year. He's very generous with people. He's very kind. He may have healed people. Well, actually he did. He raised Lazarus from the dead just a few weeks prior to this. He went into the city and he condemned the religious leaders for their their, uh, uh, greed and their grafting of the poor. I mean, you're thinking he's our guy. He's on board. We're, We're eye to eye. He gets us. And then he does that or he at least allows allows something like that to happen. And when, when you say something, he corrects you. Not the woman. He corrects you. How do you feel in that moment? I'm opening to some dialogue here. Think about it. I'd love to hear your thoughts, but how might you feel again? You got to forget what I know you know. But be in the moment. How do you feel? Yeah. Confused. Confused. She said she took yours. Anyone else? Yeah. Still indignant. Still angry. I appreciate that one. Like that didn't help. Someone over here I saw hang up. Yeah. Does that whole situation lacks common sense. It lacks common sense. That would make it would, be, it would bug you. It'd be like, what, is this guy, he, is he not what I thought he was? Is he making a mistake? I bet that those reactions and others were probably very prevalent in the room at the moment. I would not be surprised at all if people were reacting now to Jesus and to what he had to say. I mean, they were shocked. They were bothered at his approval of this, this woman's waste, irresponsibility with resources that could help people that we're trying to minister to, that God would have us care for. Don't you see how important it is and the work we do and how, how dedicated we are and how limited the resources are and you're doing that. What are you, a rich, you're, you're a rich cat. That's what you are. You're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a phony. You're a fake. I wouldn't be surprised if that's some of the reactions. To make it worse, he says what she did was beautiful. What? Beautiful? No, no, putting shoes on children is beautiful. And then he says something that I, I is at the real center of what we're going to talk about today. He said, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In other words, this wasteful act is going to be remembered long after all of your good moral deeds are forgotten. Now that probably didn't sit well either. What? You're telling me that my... Incredible love and care and concern for people and all this work is, is pointless, it's useless, there's no benefit here, it's not going to be remembered. How dare you? We're doing God's work. And yet Jesus said, no, she's who's going to be remembered. But she did. So remember we had that phrase, people who care for Jesus are the kind, I'm sorry, people who care for the needs of people, of other people, are Jesus' kind of people, right? Let's take that phrase and let's change it. People who care for Jesus are the kind of people other people need. People who care for Jesus are the kind of people that other people need. What does that mean to you? Think about it. I'd love to see if you see where we're going here. What is that? What is it saying to you? Yes. Uh, to me, it talks about how, as Christians, we're able to share with our lives who exist. And that that helps people connect to Jesus. So as P, as Christians, we actually share Jesus with people, and that's how that helps them know Jesus. Okay? Anyone else? Joe, focus sorry. On focus on the main thing. Yes. It parallels to me like how the most important, really, thing for a married couple to do is focus on their marriage, uh-huh. and that's ultimately the gift of the kids. Right. Marriage, and it's the same concept like us putting God first will help. So, much. Like, so you see I'm the, so the so parallel. So you see the parallel. I'm repeating for the for the recording. You see the parallel. That enough in, in a marriage when a husband and wife focus on each other, that's the best thing they can do for their kids. And, and and similarly, when we love God, when we focus on God, that's actually the best thing we do for other people. Anyone else, John? So I've been thinking about this thought that a lot of times, in our religious selves, we we add Jesus to our narrative. Rather than adding ourselves to the narrative. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah. Yes, so so it's so easy for us to confuse the two, right? We confuse the good with Jesus, and then we make Jesus really part of what we want to do, and what the world really needs is to see us doing what Jesus really wants us to do. And I think all of you are correct. I think that's exactly where this is going. I think that's the point. It's so easy to lose sight of what's most important, especially when what we're doing is a good thing. And then that good thing, in a weird, bizarre twist, has the ability to become the most important thing. And the most important thing, loving Jesus, becomes secondary. And what this woman represents to anyone who has heard the gospel for 2,000 years, all over the world, every time the gospel is preached, she's mentioned, we've just fulfilled the prophecy today. And what she represents is how important it is to love Jesus. He's more important than your good deeds. We're not even talking about the bad deeds. We'll get to that in a second. But he's, we're talking about the good deeds. The good you do. So we, we've picked on Christian. He's a rock star. And I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to have people fawning after me and clapping when I sing. I don't know. But you know, his music is not more important than Jesus. What, what these brothers and sisters do is wonderful. It's good. We're so blessed to have the worship, but it's not the most important thing. For those of you that serve in the church in some way, small group leadership, you 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 disciple other people, uh you 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 lead uh, uh groups to go serve the poor, whatever the whatever the case may be, it's a good thing. Thank you. But it's not more important than Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Your good deeds will not pave your road to heaven. Yeah, right. It is your love for Jesus Mom. that's going to matter in the end. Everywhere the gospel's preached, this woman is also preached. Her actions, her legacy far outlasted and was far more important than anything those good people were doing in Bethany. Let's talk about her for a minute. Again, we don't know who she is, according to Mark. Now, in John's account, which I don't believe personally is the same account, he says it's Mary, the sister of Lazarus. But John tells us that the the, the story he remembers happened three days before this story. So I don't think this is who he's talking about. And in the other accounts, they don't really mention who she is. One account implies that she's a sinner. That's in Luke's account. But Luke, we think, recorded another time earlier on in Jesus' ministry. So Matthew and, and Mark pretty much have the same story. They don't tell us almost anything about her. But there's one thing that jumped out at me when I was preparing the message, as I was meditating on it, as I was letting it hit me, as I was letting it sink in, and it's actually back in the first passage we read, the first part of the story. Verse three, she broke the jar. What does that say to you? What does that tell you about her? No No going back? No holding back. back. She was excited. She was excited. (laughs) She was ready to do it, man. She was. She wanted to do this. I pull around to this and to try to get it up. The child lock on the top was too hard. Let's just break the bottle. Did she hit Jesus in the head with it to break it? I don't know. Maybe she just dropped. It. Maybe she dropped it and then rubbed his head in it. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. It was an accident. Was an accident. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't want to change. Her. Have second thoughts about she doesn't want to have second thoughts. She doesn't want to change her mind. Yes. I'm going all out. Thank you, Newt. That's what hit me. Her love for Jesus was without limit. I don't know if she was rich or poor. I don't know if she was a caretaker or someone being cared for. I don't know how she got the perfume, but... It's very clear to me that she held nothing back. So when I ask you, do you love Jesus? I'm not saying, are you a good person? I'm assuming you're a good person. I'm wondering if you are not going back. If you've gone all the way. If you're all in. The most important thing in life, more than any good thing we can do, is to love Jesus with everything, with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and all of our resources, and all of our talent and with all of our personality, and with all of our being. Are you getting the picture? It's with everything. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So it's interesting, when you read the, the story here, we know Judas, if you're not familiar. Judas is the one who, he was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was close in the circle, the inner circle. But he is the guy who betrayed Jesus and ended up getting him arrested. And in Mark's account, on the surface, it seems to imply that Judas might have been pretty irritated with such waste. I mean, how, how dare you? You're, you're, you're a fraud. You're a phony. You're a phony. You're not really about loving people because look what you accepted here. Look what you allowed to happen. And you kind of, you could almost get that out of this, out of this account that it seems to be, it was at this moment when he had had enough hypocrite, you're not really who you are, whatever. And so he went to the chief priest who had decided that they had to wait Till after Passover, and they had this secret plan to kill him, which apparently wasn't very secret, because Judas knew about it. But he went there, and he said, Hey, I can tell you where he's going to be when no one else is around. And so the chief priests were like, Oh, cool, we don't have to wait. Let's get him. Judas will give us a signal. We'll, We'll get him. But if you know a little bit about the Bible... And you read the other accounts, like John, even though John may not be talking about the same story, he has this part of the story in there, and he mentions that Judas had another reason. Does anybody know what that reason was? He loved loved money. Judas had a different love that he loved more than Jesus. Now, in his case, it was... Money. It was greed. It was thievery, and he was skimming off the top of all the donations given to Jesus's ministry. He was taking some for himself, and that's a bad one. But it it doesn't matter if you love your serving of the poor. If you love your being able to sing in church. If you love your role as a leader, or if you love you know the, that your kids follow a certain uh, style of parenting and you're proud of that. Whatever whatever you love, if you love it more than Jesus, you're a thief. Because you're robbing people of the opportunity to see what is truly most important in this life. So, every one of us is a gospel. Every one of us has a choice. We could be the woman, or we could be Judas to the world around us. Every one of us has a world that we live in. That people are watching. You're a church. When you leave here this morning, it's not church is not here. Church is out there. We spend two hours here. There's 168 hours in the week. 166 hours is church. Jesus said, go into the world. He didn't tell the church people of the world to come into the church. What does that mean? It means that when we live our lives outside of this room... We are either going to show people that we're Judas, or we're going to show people that we're this unknown woman who loves Jesus without limit. Who do you want to be? I won't even ask who you've been. It doesn't matter. Who do you want to be? Do me a favor. If you're willing, I know there's peer pressure. Don't feel peer pressure. But if you're willing, pledge with me. Put your right hand up, I guess, right hand. I, well, let me tell you the pledge before you agree. I don't want to trap you. It's not entrapment here. I, I, Love Jesus, and I will let my world know about it. I will not hide it from my world. I'm thinking it out here as we go. So, here we go. Ready? (laughs) It'll be something in that ballpark. If you're willing, hand up. Repeat after me I love Jesus, Jesus. and I'm going to tell my world. Do you mean it? Amen. I meant it. I believe wholeheartedly, there's 90 some odd people in this room. I believe wholeheartedly that every one of us represents at least 10 other people. At least 10 other people that are outside of this room right now. They could be a, a child, they could be a sister, a you know, relative, it could be a neighbor, it could be a co-worker. But there's probably about 10 people in your little world that you rub elbows with on a pretty consistent basis, 166 hours of the week. And we've got to stop thinking that this 90 us 90 people are the church. We got to start realizing that we're not a church of 90, we're a church of 900. Because when you leave here, you bring Jesus to those 10 people. You either bring Jesus through the woman or you bring Judas. So my challenge, my charge, the whole point of this whole message is to remember what's most important, and let's live our lives in that light. Let's not be the alcoholic who, when given the chance, said, I'll have another. Let's be like this woman and show people that we love Jesus. Now, I'm going to end on an on a unusual note here something totally different. I have a song. I'm going to play it. And uh, one of the things that I think we could benefit from is just meditation from time (laughs) to time. And being able to hear the words of a song can help us meditate. And meditation is also a prayer. It's, it's, It's a time where we focus on one thing. We don't focus on many things. You focus on one thing. In this case, I want us to focus on our love for Jesus. We made a pledge, and now let's, let's meditate on it for a minute. The song's like three minutes long. It's really about this whole concept of loving Jesus. It's by a, a woman named uh, Amy, Natalie Grant. The song's called More Than Anything. And I want you to listen to the lyrics. Meditate on it. Let this moment resonate in your heart. When it's over, we'll bring the lights back up, so if we can get the lights to go down, I won't be up here. We'll just end. Background music will come on. You're free to fellowship after that. But let's take three minutes now. Go ahead and bring the lights down and meditate.